You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and I am so happy that you decided to listen to Sparking Wholeness today because we have a fabulous guest for you. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Christina Bjorndal. She is an authority in the treatment of mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorders, and eating disorders. Having overcome many mental health challenges, Dr. Chris is a gifted speaker and best-selling author who loves to share her philosophy of wellness in interviews with icons like Jenny McCarthy and many more. She is recognized as one of the top NDs to follow by two independent organizations. Dr. Chris has helped many patients achieve physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. She has written four books on mental health, as well as created two courses, a 10-week course for individuals and a clinician's integrative mental health 10-week course. So thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I, I love, I was saying before we started recording, I love that you do have a personal journey that you are very open about sharing. And I think that that, well, I, I love that for two reasons. I love that. It, it sounds like your personal journey kind of led you where you are today. <laughs> and it, it brought you, like I always say, my passion comes from my pain, but also it means that you are more than just an expert on mental illness. You're a personal expert on mental illness. And so I'd love for you to get started to just talk about, um, your own journey of regaining mental health and what that looked like for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, um, you always ask this question, you know, when you're working with somebody, when did things start for you, right? When did it, did things begin? And, and generally I say things started for me in high school. I developed uh, an eating disorder and I was this overachieving type and an interesting, just little side note that's important is that the year before that I did use antibiotics for about a year to treat mm. acne. And now we know, right, that there's a connection between the gut microbiome and the brain and mental health. Uh, back then, they, there was no conversation about that. So just highlights the importance, though, of taking a proper case and really looking at details that you might not think are relevant when they are actually. So then when I got to university, I found myself in a place I'd never been before, which was debilitated with anxiety and basically really suffering with depression and suicidal ideation. And out of concern for me, a friend uh, went to the student health clinic and wasn't, didn't know what to do. And the doctor there said, well, you know, make an appointment for your friend and see if she'll come. So she did that. And I went to that appointment. Then I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, was given medication, which I took. And then about three months later, I found myself in another place that I'd never been, which was spinning out of control uh, in a manic um, psychotic delusional episode. And then I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder type one. And for me, I never heard of that. And I didn't really want to have anything to do with it. So I didn't, for the most part, I just put this mask on that, you know what, I'm okay. And I continued mostly to march along in depression and anxiety. Um, eventually I had another, I had a suicide attempt and that left me in a coma with kidney failure. I was on dialysis. And when I came out of that coma, I, I realized like, you know, I, I need to figure out another way to navigate 
my mental health. Like this road that I'm on isn't taking me to a place of wellness. I was not getting better doing medication upon medication upon medication. So that then led me to eventually see a naturopathic doctor and a nutritionally oriented psychiatrist. And I started their protocol. And then I had like my first year where I was free from depression and anxiety. And I hadn't experienced that in the 15 years prior. So I knew there was something to this. And I eventually then made a career change and went back to school. And now here I am. So that's kind of the journey, 55 year journey in a nutshell for you. <laughs> that's incredible. You know, I I'm blown away at how similar our stories are. That yeah. is very similar to what happened to me, but mine started with birth control. Now I did have a lot of antibiotic use as a child, but um, it was birth control that put me into a depression. I, I think um, also, you know, PTSD trauma as well, but the SSRIs swung me way up and I was diagnosed with at the time they called it manic depressive illness. So um, I, were you given bipolar type one diagnosis at the time, or did they call it something different? Cause they, they've changed the wording so yeah, much. They're sort of this, they're the same, right? So basically manic depression was kind of the common term and then bipolar mm-hmm. disorder Type one is like what's in the DSM, essentially. I mean, they're both in the DSM, right. the same thing. So yeah. I was sort of given both terms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know we call it bipolar disorder now, but I mean, when I was for, I'm like, what, like you said, what is this? I don't even know. Does this yeah. mean I'm crazy? Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's incredible because I, I very much relate to your story. So your, your journey started with you very early on went and saw somebody who was a naturopathic medical doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, so I started to see them after that suicide attempt. Um, and gosh, I think it was 1996. So that okay. suicide attempt was in 1994. And so it was about two years later that I went. Um, and then, the, and then the nutritionally oriented psychiatrist, I added him in, in 1999. Wow. So it was another couple of years after that. Yeah. I mean, that's still very, I think now what we know now, just to, that has changed in the last 20 years, it's nutritional psychiatry is a majorly growing field, but in the nineties, it was still, everybody was just put on the, you know, Prozac or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. So that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing is that the standard um, party line when you get diagnosed is that that only option or solution for you is medication. And, and I'm not anti-medication at all, but I'm, you know, minimum dose for maximum benefit for the shortest duration of time. Mm -hmm. And never once did I hear that I could potentially manage this without taking five psychotropic medications. Right. And I think that's a really important message for people to hear it's not that it's this or that form of medicine. It's, it's this and that, but really it's, it's important to figure out what's the root of the problem. And, and for many, there's often a trauma involved um, or some sort of, again, like ma- different macro systems in your body. Is it neurotransmitter based? Is it in your case, is it hormonal? Is it related to how your body detoxifies and and eliminates? So there's different parts to to 
us as humans and everything's talking to each other. It's not like you've got your neurotransmitters over here and they're not interacting with your hormones, <laughs> not interacting right. With your, right? It's all, it's, we're in this one container, right? So, but we set up our medical system to have all these departments and silos and walls. So it's, it's really important to take a holistic approach to your health. And that's why I love what I do, because we really do look at it from a mind, body, spirit approach. It's so important. You mentioned the gut brain connection earlier on. I would love for anybody who's never listened to the show before. I I love to talk about this any chance that I get (laughs) or have people talk about this any chance. So can you give a rundown on what even that is? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So basically we have more bacteria in and on us than we have cells in our body, which is, you know, kind of gross if you think about it for too long. (laughs) And then you have three pounds of bacteria alone in your digestive tract. And if you take an antibiotic, and again, I'm not saying never to take an antibiotic. I mean, sometimes you have to take one. Um, But if you take one repeatedly, as I did for a long time, or, or you're always taking them, you know, once, once a year, depending on how what's going on with you. Um, I was just thinking about a patient who is, has chronic bladder infections and, and takes a, a, um, an antibiotic like once every three months for the last 10 years, like it's, it's too much, right? You've got to ask yourself, why is my body, you know, why, why am I prone to developing these infections, right? Why is my immune system not working? So anyways, that was a little bit of a tangent. So we'll come back to this. It's right on. Basically, What happens is that when you do take an antibiotic, you disrupt the floral balance, you disrupt the bacterial balance in you. And then what can come back first is what we consider, we call it, it an opportunistic pathogen. It's called candida and candida. Its main food source is sugar. So a lot of people crave sugar and beat themselves up about the fact that they can't quit sugar. And, you know, I want you to give yourself a break because you could have an overgrowth of this particular organism in you and it's sending the signal to your brain for the food that wants, which is the sugar. So it's not really you craving it. It's the organism craving it. And so that's when things are out of balance. And when things are out of balance, these bacteria, the good bacteria that we want also can make not only neurotransmitters are involved in hormone synthesis, they're also involved in nutrients formation as well. So it's a really, really important um, sort of unique ecosystem that you've got going on within you. So there's this one person I heard speaking, his name's Chris Kresler. And he said, you know, we all think we're here to do all these great things and, you know, win Nobel prizes and develop, electric cars and what have you. And really we're just vectors to carry these bugs around. That that's all, <laughs> that's all we're really here to do. And, you know, they were here before us and they'll probably be here long here after us. So, yeah, that's funny. That is, yeah. Who's hosting who is the question. Yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting. Oh man. Okay. So I, I love the way you explained that. I think that's really helpful because it is even things like sugar cravings. It's like, why don't I, I just have the willpower, but it's like, well, why don't you address the root cause? Because there could be a lot more going on. Um, Like you mentioned, addressing the root instead of just treating the symptoms. So you've mentioned that there are four aspects of health that you think are important in addressing overall health for somebody. What are those four aspects? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So this, so the four aspects are the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And so if you want to look at that, like concentric rings, but you got the physical on the outside and then mental, emotional, spiritual at the center. So disruptions or, or, you know, you know, diseases, if you will, can, can result or start in any one of those four areas. But if it's starting at the center, then it's going to create a ripples throughout the whole system. And our Western system, unfortunately, is focused only on the physical level. That's about it. Unless you're working with a counselor or a psychologist or someone who's, uh, you know, a mental health professional, then they'll be hopefully talking to you about the mental, emotional and spiritual aspects of, of life. That's yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it isn't just because they all affect each other, right? The physical affects the emotional, the emotional also affects the physical. I mean, it's just always, it's, it's always connected. It's so, so important. So when we're talking about mental health, so say somebody has been struggling with anxiety, let's take anxiety because I feel like that's being thrown around a lot. People are anxious. We're, we're living in some anxious times, right? What would you, what are some things, questions you would ask that person to get to what the root of the problem really would be? Yeah. So one of the first things with anxiety is where are you living in your mind? Are you living and there's three places we can be living the past, the present, or the future. And a lot of anxiety is future-based. So we want to really understand and root ourselves in the present moment and, and recognize that the future nor the past exist anywhere, except for as thoughts in our mind, <laughs> right? So we want to be able to then pull ourselves back to the present moment when we have awareness that we're in this state of worry or anxiety. And then I, you know, I say to patients, look, you have a choice here, right? You, you're navigating this brain here. And I use the analogy that that your brain is a bus and the passengers on the bus are the thoughts that you think. And the driver of the bus is, is your heart. And you want to get discerning about the thoughts that you're thinking and really like look at them and ask, right? Are you serving me or sabotaging me? Are you hurting me? Are you helping me? Are you moving me into a state of stress and panic, anxiety, or are you helping me relax and be calm? There isn't a lot we can control in life, but what you can control is what you think between these two ears. And this was really hard for me at first when I was um, first diagnosed because I had this inner critic that I was really hesitant to let anybody know what this inner critic was saying. And I can tell you, it wasn't very nice, right? These thoughts that I had was, was that this inner critic was saying wasn't very supportive of me as a person. And it really drove me down. It drove me into becoming this perfectionist overachiever type and also into depression. So we really have to get control of our thoughts. That's one of the first things It was a long winded answer to your question, but anxiety is it, it's, it's often future-based in, and you're living there in a state of anticipatory worry and you're catastrophizing and you're fortune telling in a negative way. And it really doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's staying in that 
survival mode. And, and I, and I do hear people say, you know, well, when you tell me that I can control that, that makes me feel like it's my fault or that, I mean, how do you address that? Cause I've gotten some, some very interesting, I'll just say just from Instagram, I've gotten some interesting DMS. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, yes. when I, I mention things, when I mention the concept of epigenetics, right. That yeah. we, we do have control over our genetic expression Absolutely. that is foreign for a lot of people who have been taught the gene only model there. of health. Yeah. So what, how can we, what's, what's a healthy approach there? Yeah. Well, first I just want to speak to the epigenetics piece. So one of the things I didn't mention is, so I'm adopted. And when I was diagnosed, I would ask this question, why, you know, why is this happening to me? And the answer I got was, well, it's genetic. You just have to accept this, Chris, it's genetic. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but you know what? I can't look to my left or my right to verify the truth about that. And I feel like when you're telling me that, then you're making me feel like there's nothing I can do. Like, so you're, you're seriously telling me there's nothing I can do to help me with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and bipolar disorder, nothing. Right. And, and that, I think it, when you tell somebody it's genetic, I think you make the, I think people just throw their hands up and like, Oh, well, there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I love epigenetics because it's not all about the genes. Now we know that it's basically genes load the gun lifestyle pulls the trigger and there's research on this. So oh, absolutely. Right. So, but to answer the question about, um, you know, I can't control it, uh, or, or you make me, you know, if by, by saying that, uh, that I can control this, that then I feel bad that you're saying to me that essentially I'm causing this myself or whatever. Um, listen, I would have been one of those people. Absolutely. Would have been one of those people, yeah. but here's the thing. I didn't know about this field of research that was developed around the same time that we learned about epigenetics, which is called psychoneuroimmunology, which is just a fancy word. That means your thoughts affect how you feel. So here's what people need to understand your thoughts create neuropeptides. The neuropeptides affect the hormones that get produced. And then the hormones that get produced affect how you feel. So it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem we have. No one's blaming you if you're thinking negative thoughts. But what we are saying is you, can, you do have a choice about what you think. You do. You absolutely do. If you're not choosing to think these thoughts, then who is? Yeah. Answer that, right? The thing is, you're not aware right now about the subconscious mind that's spewing off. Like I wasn't, I wasn't until I was taught this, how to, this approach, which I'll just summarize it as the four R's. You've got to recognize what you're thinking. Like I said, get discerning, like pull it out of your mind pretty much and look at it and ask, are you serving me or not? you're not supportive, then let's chuck it. Let's just drop it. That's the second step. Refrain by relaxing into the breath. And then we want to repeat the process because what you have to understand is the King system in the body is the nervous system. Mm -hmm. These past couple of years, everyone's focused on the immune system because of the (laughs) pandemic, but what controls the immune system is the nervous system. Preach. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so what happens when you think these thoughts They're going to push you into one of two states of your nervous system, sympathetic or parasympathetic. In other words, I've already used them to express those two is 
stressed or relaxed, right? Sabotage, support, hurt, help, inner critic, inner cheerleader, ego, soul, fear, or love. And honestly, with anxiety, a lot of people are in fear, right? You can only be in one state at a time. There's really only two states, fear or love. It's your choice. It really is. So I get it. It's hard. Like, I, I, I believe me, I, I think I struggled probably for 15 years longer than I did because I was so defiant about this change your thoughts, change your life. Yeah. Right. But the thing is, I didn't know about psychoneuroimmunology and I didn't know that I didn't need to believe every thought I think. Oh, that's, that's so true. Right. Yeah. You are, I mean, you are dropping so many truth bombs and it's, and it's true. And I think that that's why I stayed stuck for as long as I did with my mental health symptoms is I had, I mean, from a very young age, I'm a high achieving that that also comes along with the inner critic. And so I still, I found myself, there have been times that little thoughts would pop up and I'm going, wait a minute. I thought I lost that one a long time ago. Where did that one come from? Because exactly. it, it, it reminds me how far I've come because it, I used to be just so hard on myself all the time. And you're right. Those neuropeptides you mentioned, that's one of the hottest areas of research. I think right now, you know, we focus on neurotransmitters for so long, but those mm. neuropeptides, those need to be talked about because that's really what's running the show. <laughs> we got well, stuck in the monoamine theory of everything for a long time. But yeah. This is a big, big player. Yeah. And the other thing too, with mental health that, that you're touching on, that's really important is that there hasn't been much research done hmm. since the SSRI theory came out in the 1980s. So true. There hasn't been much, you know, more recently they're bringing uh, back something that got squashed in the 1950s, which was the psychedelics. <laughs> they're bringing that back now, right? That's mm-hmm. becoming more popularized or accepted, if you will. Um, but I think that the other thing I just want to, te- to mention here before we get lots of DMs about, <laughs> about this whole thought thing, I just want to say that, um, and I know you, you, I'm sure you get this too, with depression, like it's basically what it does to you, mm-hmm. right? It affects your ability to think in a, in, a, in, a, in a helpful way for yourself. It's like the cloud descends and you're like, you're immersed in the cloud and you're one with the cloud and you cannot see the sun shining behind you. But I assure you, the sun is still shining. Mm. And so we just need to help you shift. So you understand and can create a little bit of separation between you and the cloud. That is the thoughts that is depression that you will then um, be able to have that blue sky and bright light in your life again. Yeah. And it's possible. It is possible. I know it's hard when you're struggling. Yeah. Yeah. We, we both have been there and we both have come out on the other side, but you're right. That's something I think the longer, and I don't know if you ever feel this way, the, the farther I am in my journey of healing, I forget those dark clouds, how debilitating they really were. Mm-hmm. And so while I do have empathy, I'm so far removed that yeah. I, I do tend to, Oh, wait, Oh, yeah. You can't just say, yeah, I'm going to take a walk today. That's, that's really difficult to do. What would you say is a first step for somebody who's struggling and they're under that cloud? Is there any kind of a pick me up that they can go to, to, to feel a little bit better? Or is it just a whole approach? <laughs> yeah. It's sort of, um, it's, it's, you know, there isn't a quick fix. There isn't, 
So the thing is, it's like I talk about in my book, right? There's, you know, there's 10 steps. And so we want to look over these 10 steps. If we find ourselves in a darker place, we want to take a look and ask, okay, have I, what am I doing nutrition wise, right? The foundation of health is nutrition, sleep, exercise, and then managing stress. And so, and managing stress is a really huge area. So, cause that then feeds into our thoughts and our emotions and how we behave and react in the world and et cetera. So the, just that piece alone of those three, the, I, you know, for me, the biggest one, it's really hard to pick one, but the nutrition really important. Obviously you're not going to make neurotransmitters or hormones. If you're not giving your body the precursors to build these things, they don't just happen magically within you. And that's the thing. You don't have a deficiency of Prozac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. You have a deficiency of tryptophan, which is the essential amino acid that goes on to make pro to make serotonin in the body, which is what Prozac is working on. So the, the exercise as well, like goodness me, I can tell you um, there's been days when I've been depressed that the only thing I've accomplished in a day is moving from the bed to the door and out for a walk or a run. And sometimes that's taking me two, four, six, eight, like 10 hours just to, mm. to, to do that. But you, you know, I can tell you this, I've never once came back feeling worse. It's true. Yeah. And there's a great quote, the most overutilized prescription for depression and anxiety is pharmaceuticals. And the most underutilized prescription is exercise. And there's a lot of research. I have a whole chapter in my book about the, the exercise and the research. There's a lot of research that it's the same results as taking an SSRI. However, it's hard. So you got to enlist support. You got to get help and you got to dig really deep. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, that's good. And I'm glad you mentioned the research on that because there, it is pretty interesting when you start looking into it. And then you mentioned, we don't have a deficiency of Prozac. We might have a deficiency of tryptophan, but isn't, is it true that the Prozac is only really going to work on what serotonin you have available? And so if you aren't, if your gut isn't utilizing serotonin or isn't creating it from food or bacteria or whatever, then it's, is it going to be harder for those SSRIs to work? Yeah. I haven't heard it, heard it phrased that way, but basically all the SSRI does is it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't manufacture serotonin. So, right. right. So you're right. If you, if you have a manufacturing problem at the plant, right, you're not going to get the parcel to your door, which is the receptor right. of the cell. Right. So what as the SSRI does is it, when you've got two neurons, the one neuron is opening and it's releasing the serotonin to the next neuron. And the SSRI is allowing the doors essentially to stay open because longer, because what happens is in, a, in, you know, normally without the medication, the, the body wants to be efficient. And so then it, the doors will close. And if there's some serotonin that didn't make it across that synapse, it collects it up again. So that maybe next time it'll make it across, but if it doesn't make it across, you don't feel good because you don't have enough serotonin binding. Mm -hmm. Right. So what the, the medication essentially does is it leaves those doors open longer. So, so the serotonin can float across and then yeah. it travels. Right. So it's like a, it's like a, it's almost like a, essentially, you know, it's, it's a recycling system because mm, it's, yeah. it's flowing through. Right. I haven't I'd have to sit and think about that a little bit longer, but I, I feel like, um, 
I usually say if the SSRI isn't working, it's not the right, it, it may not be the right neurotransmitter. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or there may not be right, the right macro system. It could be your hormones. Mm, like yeah, this is classic. At, like this is classic at menopause, right? Women go in, <laughs> right. right. This even happened to me recently, like in last, last fall, I was noticing a, a dip in my, my mood. I was, I hadn't felt a bit lower for a long, long time. And of course I look across my 10 steps. Okay. Well, what, what am I doing? What am I not doing? Have I dropped the ball somewhere? And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in menopause. And so I'm thinking, well, it's my, gotta be my hormones. I go to the doctor and they prescribe an antidepressant Hmm. (laughs) and I'm just like, but I don't think it's my, I don't think it's my, 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 you know, neurotransmitters. I think this is hormone based and sure enough, it's like, it is hormone based, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm fine now. Cause I, I added some hormone support and it moved and shifted really fast. So really mm-hmm. important, especially, you know, what's going on in your life. It's important to ask that question. Not everything, the solution for, um, the, the solution isn't an, an SSRI for everything. Right. But that's what we're told, you know, like, oh, you're feeling a little down or you're grieving or you're in. And I, I mean, I grief, that's a whole, I, I think that is one of those situations. There are times in our lives where maybe we do need a, a boost, but I do think that, yeah, SSRIs are given just kind of really for anything. I mean, I know um, it's, it's being prescribed for women postpartum before they even have symptoms like here, t- let's give you this prescription just in case you start feeling a little bit down go ahead. And, and that's so tricky to me because I do know the dangers I've experienced so many, um, we'll say negative side effects from various medications that I I think that that's really tricky. You know, when we're talking about, it could possibly increase anxiety or depression for some people when they're put on these medications. So yeah, it's yeah. We do act like it's this one size fits all solution, but it just doesn't work that way for everybody. And what's happening at postpartum. What, what macro system is that? Right. Oh, it's hormones, all right. the hormones and even yeah. thyroid. You talk about how the thyroid can really shift for a lot of, I mean, there's just so much. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm with you. Um, now I do want to go back to something else you mentioned that I, that I think is so important to understand is that nervous system piece. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, just like I have my little, you know, my questions about the SSRIs and my questions about, I have lots of questions all the time, which is why I have the show. Right. I do wonder how many people are diagnosed with mental illnesses when it's a dysregulated nervous system and it's a body that's just in this extreme fight or flight, or maybe that freeze, I mean, cannot find that balance and and cannot create any kind of stress resilience. What what are your thoughts there? Yeah. 100%. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think so. One of my teachers is that I did this compassionate inquiry training with is Dr. Gabor Mate. And he says that basically um, with most diagnoses, like just whatever one, just list them, right? Depression, anxiety, et cetera, bipolar disorder, even psychosis, all of it. He says it's all rooted in some earlier childhood experience, usually based in some sort of trauma. Mm. And that then causes the nervous system to kind of be on high alert, if you will. And so he, his point is that labels don't really explain anything. They might describe what's going on, but they don't actually explain what's going on with somebody. 
you know, depression in me and depression in you is not, does not have the same root. It may have the same uh, symptoms. It may look similar, right? But we may not have the same experience. And, and it's about understanding the individual's experience, which is really, really important. And the nervous system can get hijacked, or maybe that's not the best word to use, but we, you know, 95% of our mind is our subconscious mind. And a lot of what happens to us is, especially in our younger years, we make meaning of it, but it may not be the right meaning. Mm. Right. So for example, for, I'll just use me as an example with adoption, the meaning I made was I wasn't wanted, you know, I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. I'm, you know, and, and how do you think someone like that's going to operate in the world? Right. And so the way I operated was I, to compensate for this lack, I became an overachiever. So as not to get sent back, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's really stressful to be over there because you can't do anything wrong because underlying that is the fear that you're going to get sent back. Right. So yeah. you're constantly stressed. The nervous system's constantly on. Mm. And that's not sustainable in life. And so it's, it's really, um, you know, the trauma piece affects the nervous system and, and then that affects the thoughts that we, these core beliefs that we develop and shadow beliefs. And then that affects how we operate in the world. And the good news is though, when you have awareness of these pieces, then you can create shifts and you can learn to look at things a different way. So, but there's lots of books, you know, like, um, like one of his book is books is when the body says, no, um, I just read, um, Oh my goodness. I can't think of it. I've got it over there, but drawing a blank on it, but something about why zebras don't get ulcers. Yes. I just heard of that one and I haven't read it. Yeah. 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 There's a few other ones that are, I can, I'm, they're not coming to me, but there's lots of them out there that are about this idea that I'm talking about. Um, Yeah. So it's important for people to look at. It is. And I think about kids these days, because I have, I have three kids and my oldest is almost 18. And by the time it's there, she might be 18. (laughs) My Uh, youngest is five. So it's a wide range. And I've seen even in those 12 short years, I used to be a teacher as well. How many diagnoses have risen in kids and the labeling and ADHD, ODD, OCD, anxiety, um, off the charts right now. And I, a pediatrician friend of mine, I think she said that half of her, over half of her patients right now are struggling with anxiety over half all ages. This is not just teenagers because of course, you know, teenagers that's going to happen, but no, just the young ones too. So I wonder how much, um, video games. I don't know if you've seen any of the games. They hurt my head to watch them just because of the visual stimulation, how much that's disrupting to the nervous system are um, all of the screens, the phones, the notifications, and then the food that has been designed by our lovely food companies to hijack our neurotransmitters so that we can get hooked and buy more. Mm-hmm. So how we're, I feel like it's an uphill battle. So what are some small steps we can take to, to support healing and rest and digest in bodies that are constantly being assaulted with, with overload. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's tough. There's a lots of pieces there. So the nutrition piece, uh, it's, it's definitely taking a look at that at sugar as best as we can. Um, understand that when you're reading a label, four grams of sugar is one teaspoon. So, and your daily allotment for an adult should be 36 grams per day. If you're drinking a can of pop, that's got 25 grams right there. So you've pretty much blown your daily allotment in that one can of pop. So I would encourage people to, to go on YouTube and type in the secrets of sugar and just watch that little quick uh, episode and take stock of your total grams of where you are. When I did this with my son, I was sending him the yogurt I was giving him. I thought it was healthy, it was organic, <laughs> it's organic, but it was vanilla. And so it's flavored and it had 24 grams of sugar in his yogurt. And so here I am, Mm -hmm. basically, exactly. It had more than the ice cream actually. And so here I am setting him off to school. Mm -hmm. And so these poor teachers are getting these kids when they're jacked up on this sugar high, you know, height as it's rise and then they're crashing. Right. And then, you know, by 11 o'clock kids are, you know, they can't focus. They can't concentrate. Like it's, it's a lot of it has to do with the food. A lot has to do with the food, you know, shop around the perimeters of the store. And I get that these things, you know, these things I'm saying, they, it takes time, right? You've got to, you've got to make a big um, adjustment and commit to a different lifestyle. And, and it doesn't have to be drastic overnight, but you do need, if you just take a look at this one piece and consider just eating more whole foods in your, in your diet, that's the first thing I would be looking at for the, to support your children, because this is the first generation of children that is actually predicted to die before the parents, um, or not live as long as the parents, however that goes because of, uh, fatty liver diseases on the rise at the highest rate ever in children, type two diabetes is on the rise. So th- these are huge health issues. Mm-hmm. And then the technology piece is also, um, so parents aren't going to like when I say this, but you're the parent, you're the model, get off your phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your children, we have used, unfortunately, it as a mm, babysitter. We, you know, we've, we kind of have in this pandemic, I know a lot of rules, right. Have gotten lax because the kids and, and that's, you know, maybe that's an exception to the rule. So take that, you know, this, that chunk of time out of the equation and you, it's just another thing you have to manage. It is an addiction. It's just like, just like you said, the foods, foods have been designed for us to be uh, essentially addicted to them so that we will buy their products because they manipulate the levels of sugar, fat, and salt. Same with technology companies, mm-hmm. right? They also have made these devices so that every time your phone dings with a notification, you get a dopamine hit. So it's, it's really important to, to know this and to understand that you've got to manage that too. And yeah, your kids might have a little bit of a temper tantrum. That's all right. They'll get over it <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and you'll get over it. And you don't, and an escalated parent cannot de-escalate a child. So the more your nervous system is rooted in a parasympathetic, calm state, the more your child will get there too. 
Yes. Oh, I, I feel that with my youngest, he's very sensitive to my nervous system. And it's funny one night, uh, my husband's actually a therapist. And one night he came and got in bed with me and he was just like, right up next to me the whole night. And I know since I have an older one, that's not going to happen forever. So I'm, you know, I'm going to cherish this while it lasts. Right. But I, I didn't sleep very well because he was up against me the whole night, his hot little body, all that. And my husband told me, he's like, well, maybe, maybe you were co-regulating. And I was like, oh, that, that is such a sweet way to view that. Like, that's something to think about is we are, because we do that with others. We co-regulate our nervous systems. We feed off of the nervous system of another person. Right. And I, I was never taught that as a parent until three, four years ago. I mean, intuitively I knew that, you know, we know that, but mm-hmm. that it's a science, the mirror neurons, all of that. Right. It's a science. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you're bringing that up because that needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're energetic beings, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's what we are. We're, 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 we're energy. And you, you know, you, you hear people say, oh, you know, she had a, you know, an, a, a calm vibe or, or, or wow, she was, oh, you know, like, you, you know, you, you, you can, we, we talk like that. We, we have this sense, right? And it's really, really important to start developing that within yourself by grounding yourself and rooting yourself into you, into the breath, into the body. And um, again, this, the more that you can do to support your nervous system, then the more that you're going to be able to help your children. And, you know, we've started playing uh, different games. I mean, our son is 16 and he, and his friends, his friends all hang out at our house. I feel like I'm the mother of five teenage boys. Oh, wow. And, and I have a rule. When you come in my house, your phone does not go with you. Mm. It, you're not on your phone when you come here. And yet they, ours is the home that they want to come to because we play games with them. We yeah. play, ping, you know, we're outside, we're playing ping pong. We're kids, kids want this connection and they want it with you. Oh, that's with so you. good. Mm -hmm. That's really good. We do have a generation of people receiving dopamine from external validation from inanimate objects. And that's scary. That's, that's really scary. So, um, this is, this is so good. Um, you know, I was thinking you mentioned something about calming presence and, and, and and the people that are, ah, (laughs) but for lack of a better word, right. (laughs) Um, nobody can see the expression there, but, um, yes, I, I just think, when you have gone for the survivors out there, right. For those who have previously been diagnosed as, you know, having depression or anxiety, or, you know, it's, it's always funny bipolar disorder. People would say, oh, he is bipolar or she is bipolar. Nobody ever says they were diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but we do create that identity for ourselves, regardless of how it's phrased or not. So how does somebody get past that limiting belief of this is the label that I was given. And, you know, because that's something I have worked on for a very long time. And anytime somebody tells me that I have a calming presence, I'm like, okay, the healing is working. It's working you know? <laughs> because it wasn't that I was very dysregulated for a long time. And so, yeah, I, yeah. So I'd love to know what, what do you say to somebody who's listening to this right now and does feel stuck and limited by a label they've been given they're still struggling with symptoms and they feel like it's always going to be this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so you can look to us as examples that it's, it's not always going to be this way. However, you do need to take steps 
and you just have to take one step in one direction for for yourself and you you are more than the label that's why the book i wrote is called beyond the label it's there it's and and just like i was saying earlier there's an explanation for the for what you're experiencing so your body is just exhibiting these particular symptoms that we're clumping in a in a category and then we're slapping you know stamping the top of the box with this word depression or anxiety or whatever it may be but see if you can actually take the lid off the box look underneath and really understand what's going on for you what's been the experience that explains that category of of symptoms that we're labeling as depression right and and bring a level of love and compassion to yourself because the more that you bring this gentleness to you and softness then your body will or you will you, you will heal so there's this quote that i really like by jeff foster and he was giving this lecture it's a little bit of a story I'll, I'll try to shorten it but he was giving this lecture and a woman comes up to the mic and she's like you know why am i still feeling like this after all the courses the doctors the medications the books i i'm still feeling sad and depressed and and he basically said that what we want to understand is if your heart is open we don't have to cast all these things as as a bad as bad things so he said pretend that a child was knocking on your door and this child has been lost and, and cold and it's hungry. Are you going to slam the door in this child's face? And, you know, the woman says, well, no, I'm going to bring it in and you're going to love it and care for it, feed, feed it. And he said, this is how we want to look at all these emotions, sadness and, and the states of depression and anxiety, like lost children, you're their home. So anxiety doesn't want to be healed. It wants to be held. And this is the thing in Western medicine. What we do is we always interrupt the process Mm. by getting you out of the state you're in because it's not acceptable by society to be where you are. They make it wrong in a sense. But here's the thing. I always say to myself, it's like, I've got two masters, right? I've got this ego and this soul. And sometimes it's like the ego is, you know, I want to go, it wants me to go left and the soul wants me to go right. And I don't know who to listen to. And so I just get stuck. And a lot of my depressions have been this at this times when I've had to make big decisions like university. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that when you can go within and be silent without the the chatter of this voice that might be saying awful things you can let go of that and just stay with the breath then you'll hear the wisdom that lies within you or if we want to get you know if i can use the word god you can say i always say to my patients look you're not going to hear the voice of god if you're constantly talking and you've got this head full of nonsense (laughs) yeah (laughs) You've got to, you got to calm the peanut gallery, if you will. You've got to get the, you got to turn down the volume (laughs) so you can hear, Mm -hmm. right? So just remember that there can be some truth and some wisdom and some lessons to glean from these quote unquote states of, of depression and anxiety. 
Yeah. And I'm grateful for every episode of depression that I've had because wisdom has come from it. Mm. Growth yeah. and, and learning and acceptance and, and love and compassion has come out of that from ironically from trying to uh, depart the planet. Yeah. Like yeah. how bizarre is that? Right. Yeah. So I don't know that was a long-winded answer, but basically the, the short answer is number one, you can heal. Number two, yeah, you have to have help. I, it's really important. I wasn't able to do this by myself and I, and, and don't be afraid to take steps. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, that's so good. All right. Well, where can people find your books and, and learn more about you and what you do and all of that? Oh, just on that thing we just mentioned, social media. We don't want to talk about <laughs> the evil it. social media, the, the necessary evil, evil internet. <laughs> yes, my books are on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and uh, Indigo, and um, and then just yeah, my if you search my name or my website is just my name drchristinabjorndal.com. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And what are your? Are you on Instagram or are you? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm on there. Yeah. And that's Dr. Christina Bjorndal. I think so. Well, I think it's Dr. Chris, Dr. Okay. Chris Bjorndal. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been such a good conversation and I really, really hope that this is going to be helpful for somebody because I, I just, your story's inspiring and, um, I, I don't speak to a lot of other survivors. And so <laughs> thanks again for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.